0: Hi, and welcome to Eating with Cancer, a podcast about how food and eating experiences are impacted by cancer, where we sit down to candid conversations and explore integrative approaches to finding joy with food. I'm your host, Stephanie Myers, a registered dietitian and the nutrition manager in the Zakam Center for Integrative Therapies and Healthy Living at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. And I am very excited to have with me as guests today, Katie a Dana-Farber patient whose story exemplifies how to handle advice friends and family offer after a cancer diagnosis, and Dr. Alicia Morgans, a medical oncologist and the medical director of the survivorship clinic at Dana-Farber. So today we're talking about what to do when friends and family offer you unsolicited advice about food and nutrition as you're going through a cancer diagnosis and treatment and recovery. And I'll just I'll just begin by saying, I think it's it's so common that this happens. And I think quite honestly, because food and nutrition feel like everyone's purview. Because we all we all eat. And so when someone you love is diagnosed with cancer, that can prompt a real genuine desire to share ideas and and suggestions, right? Something along the lines of, you know, what worked for my friend Barbara was eating X, Y, or Z, or um, you know, I worked with somebody and they tried this during their cancer treatment, it was really effective. So Being on the receiving end of this type of advice is one thing, but also being a person who's offering this type of advice is something for us to take into account. And my guests today have a lot of experience navigating this situation. And I think you'll find their insights very useful, whether you're a patient or a person who is in the support community, the network of friends and family that surrounds somebody going through a cancer experience. So we're gonna tackle that today, both um, what are the uh, feelings, the experiences of the person going through cancer and those of the caregiver, and then how can we best proceed? What's the sort of takeaway? Um, And I wanna have us sort of begin, uh, Katie, with some of the experiences you uh, went through after having your diagnosis in this realm.
1: Okay, great, thanks, Stephanie. So I think um, you were too generous in your introduction by saying that I exemplified how to handle it because when I was diagnosed, I definitely felt like I was hit by a freight train. And I don't think that I handled it well in a lot of cases because you're just really in shock and you have so many questions and you go to the doctors with questions, but I really wasn't prepared for all of my friends and family's questions to me. It was like, whoa, whoa. Um, so basically one of the things is as soon as I was diagnosed, my father said that he was going to pick me up every day at my house and get me out of the house. So I wasn't sitting there like, you know, feeling sorry for myself. And we would go for coffee at this, um, great cafe and it became a great ritual, but it also became a chance for him to talk me down off the cliff of reacting to some of the friends and family's reactions. So, you know, you get... As soon as you're diagnosed and you don't even know the answer to the questions because there's so much time waiting between doctor's appointments and then getting reports back. And I used to say to my friends, well, I think people think it's a lot more exciting than it really is because it's a lot of waiting. And to get the questions on top of that just seemed like a challenge. So I tried to outsource the questions to my husband and then I tried to meet my father for coffee and, uh, you know, he would make me, you know, remind me that everybody means well, no matter how it comes out. And, and you know, as far as food, I got a lot of comments on food. <laughs> yeah. Can you give us an example? Give me something, or
0: give us something you, that you was said to you or suggested to you about food and eating after your diagnosis.
1: Sure. So just so you know, I had colon cancer. And um, one of the things that the surgeon recommended is having a lot of vitamin D both you know taking the med- taking the pills and then also drinking milk and that kind of thing. So when I would go with my father and we would have what he would call yuppie coffees like lattes and stuff. I I just love a good latte. So I was so happy, you know, I was just drinking my latte and finished it and got a text from somebody, um, one of my friends and she said, Oh, I hope you're doing well and blah, blah, blah. And like, whatever you do, I hope you're not eating dairy, because that's going to spread your cancer cells throughout your body. And it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, I, I, you just can't explain like you already feel like you're you're going crazy when you have the diagnosis. And then to hear people's reactions. And thankfully, my father knew this friend. So when the text came in, I was able to just show him and he rolled his eyes. And it was just, you know, that knowing so well, like, okay, you don't have to respond to this. Like, this is just somebody that means well, but it's hurtful to you um, because, you know, it kind of makes you feel like, oh, if I, you know, had done it right, I wouldn't have cancer. And that's kind of, you know, not a good place to go when you just want to get through it and follow directions of the doctors.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, Dr. Morgans, I'm curious in your experience, How does Katie's story relate to sort of what you hear and see on a day-to-day basis? So Katie, your story
2: breaks my heart because this is what happens when people are trying to look out for each other and trying to show that they care, that they're thinking about you, that they're looking into how they can take care of you, but they're actually hurting you with those texts or with those phone calls or those emails that say, just make sure you don't do this. And they say it off the cuff. Like, it's just an afterthought almost, but it could become, for some people, the thing that then monopolizes their time, their mind, their stress. Whatever we know and understand about cancer, we as doctors try to share with people as often as we can. If there's a preventative strategy, we try to get it out there. So it's very upsetting um, that this has happened to you, but I'm I also want to say that your resilience and your strength in this and the, the way that you built up a support system to help keep you sane despite this is really impressive um, and and is just a testament to exactly as Stephanie said, your ability to go through this with grace under fire. But it is hard. Food can be really hard because we all eat, we all drink, and we all um Google. And so <laughs> we can find these things that seem very easy and and relatable and and jump to conclusions and and the data is just not there and we have to recognize i think as as people with cancer as loved ones that that can be really really damaging To the person who's actually dealing with a disease, no matter how much we think it's going to be helpful, it can actually be harmful. So we really do need to think twice and and try not to put that extra pressure and burden on someone.
0: Yeah, I want to actually really lift up what you just said, Dr. Morgans, about how as a care, for those of you who are listening who are care partners, friends, family members, loved ones, your genuine, honest, heartfelt wish is to be supportive and caring. And, And we know that. We feel that. Although, as you've mentioned, it's also important to recognize that it can be really stressful for your loved one to try to reconcile different sources of things they're hearing from a whole slew of friends, right? Lots of different, and and also the team of professionals that they're working with. And that ultimately that confusion that can actually make your loved one have more of a burden as they're going through this time. So it's one of the things to really be mindful of. Even if you have, you're convinced you've got the very best thing that could help this person you care about, we're gonna to talk today about sort of what can you do in that instance, rather than just sort of go for it um, and, and really be mindful of that in general. Now, Katie, I know that you've actually had other examples of that, but in the interest of time, I just would love to have you share one other story. And, and, and the reason I'm asking you that is because I think um, not unlike your story, many people who are going through a cancer experience have multiple rounds of this kind of unsolicited advice coming their way. So can you just, from your uh, series of examples in your own life, can you share some other thing that happened that you might feel comfortable telling us about?
1: Sure. Well, two of the most common questions that I got were, how are you and what can I bring you? And basically, from being so sick from treatment and being fatigued and everything, it was like a roller coaster, like how I felt, what I was in the mood for. I mean, even if I responded to a text saying like, oh, I could go for you know, a hot chocolate, it would change in two minutes. So I really wasn't able to answer those questions that seemed so normal. And you know, it always seemed like people asking, how are you, were questions for healthy people to respond with fine and then move on to the next thing. But if I was gonna go through my litany of complaints, it would be way too much for people. So, um, well, there was one case where Um, after I finished treatment and well, I think, you know, like I basically gained weight during treatment, which I wasn't happy about. And it was kind of hard, but a friend of ours had lost a lot of weight, like a hundred pounds. And um, there were a few of us around saying, Oh, how'd you lose the weight? You know? And he said that he gave up sugar. And then of the whole group, he pointed to me and he's like, you should never have sugar because you have cancer. And I was just, I just looked at my husband, like, Okay. Like just don't react, don't react because I just felt like saying internally, "Well, you should be just so happy that I'm still alive and standing here." <laughs> like
0: singling you out as though you're the one that can't have sugar. The one right. who is not allowed to have sugar, right? So interesting to think about how you are feeling in that moment. I'm and I'm I'm picturing you right standing there in that room feeling what you said to your husband, like don't react, don't react. In your mind, you're trying very hard. This is this is the kind of um energy in your own body that comes up when someone offers you a comment like that. The person who's experiencing the cancer journey is having to bite their tongue, not be able to say their whole story or experience necessarily. And there's this feeling of like, I don't know what you would call it, that moment. How did that feel, Katie, for you?
1: Oh, that was like, you know, just kind of bracing myself so that I didn't react to how it occurred to me, because I was just like, you know, it was just so hard to do little things, like even just being there and staying present was a challenge. So just to kind of keep with it. And then the same conversation was like, well, I thought you were really healthy. And I said, yes, yes, I am really healthy. I'm still healthy. But, you know, it was kind of like I had to like have a comeback too.
0: Yeah. And and so I guess for the caregivers listening, just to hear how that, even though the um, suggestion I don't suppose was meant to be malicious, like about you and your inability to have sugar, but really Mm -hmm. the feeling you had in there was one of you almost had to defend yourself, your decisions, your choices, your lifestyle, your whole way of approaching food and eating. Right. Dr. Morgans, I'm curious again, in terms of thinking through the lens of a provider who's care goes beyond just the patient, but to the whole circle of people surrounding them. What's your thought on, your take on this?
2: So again, this is somebody trying to be thoughtful, I think, and and caring, but, um, but there is not a food that we think caused anyone's cancer. Again, we would be very clear if we did. And there's not a food that we think you need to avoid after cancer, and certainly not sugar. Your brain needs sugar. And it's actually, it's interesting to me that it's one of these myths on the online that you know sugar causes cancer, sugar fuels cancer. A lot of the cancers that I treat are hormonally driven. They have nothing to do with sugar. They're, they're driven by testosterone. Breast cancer is often driven by estrogen. That's not sugar. Uh, and there isn't a cancer around that we think, this person should stop eating sugar, and this person should starve so that we treat the cancer. We need the person to be alive. We we want to get rid of the cancer. If we don't eat sugar, if we don't have a balanced diet, if we don't fuel our bodies, we will waste away. And the cancer really has nothing to do with that. The cancer needs to have cancer-directed therapy. We need to fuel our bodies safely. Um, and, And having those restrictions can cause people to lose weight to the extent that they become frail and they're no longer strong enough to treat the cancer. So, ultimately, taking advice from the doctor, nurse, nurse practitioner, physician assistant team, the dietitians These are the people who can give you guidance on how to eat healthy, I think. And eating healthy is really the goal, but cutting something out, completely avoiding something, not having the latte that gives you that warmth and that connection with your dad, that is not the approach to, to take. And then just to emphasize again for the caregivers, for the loved ones, we just have to be careful about the way we phrase things because adding blame in a situation where someone is already suffering is never, never the right thing to do. We need to lift each other up and blame should not even be close to what we're what we're adding to that picture.
0: Yeah, and I would also add that, you know, I for a lot of family members, I don't think they understand that what they're saying could be interpreted as blame. Yes. That's a really important piece of what you're saying today is that the mindful awareness we're cultivating around how these conversations might happen how you, how you might handle them if you are the patient or if you're the person who wants to offer the piece of advice is really very important to think about. So Katie, let's do that now. It's let's, let's really for the listeners, based on the experiences, the stories you've shared, what would you say to someone who's listening right now who feels like they're in the middle of this, receiving feedback, advice, comments um, that are meant to be helpful but don't necessarily feel that way. What how did you handle that? What would you recommend? What's your
1: advice? Well, I think you just have to block out people's comments for the most part and just kind of like do what feels right for you. And if, you know, you want to eat something, go ahead and eat it, but cuz you're always going to be able to do better down the road, but for right now, especially when you're sick, your taste buds might not be there. You have so many internal challenges that I wasn't prepared for. So people don't really know what you're up against. So you just really have to like keep calm and just make the best choice in the moment for you. Um, you know, it's easy to say eat healthy and do that, but if if it's hot chocolate or you know, whatever, you kind of have to give in to that too. Yes. The best advice. I'm certainly not gonna be writing a book on it. <laughs> And
0: and Katie, I think you've said a couple of times you didn't feel prepared for the amount of that kind of unsolicited feedback you might get. And I know, Dr. Morgans, when you're meeting with patients and families, that's actually one of the things you mentioned as as an important thing to think about, right? It is. I think that we should expect that family is
2: going to try to intervene in this way, to reach out in this way, to show that they care by Um, engaging in this way, because it is something that we're all familiar with, and they just want to show, hey, I've looked into this. If you stop doing this, if you start doing that, these are things that might make you feel better. And so we should expect that that's one of the ways that I think our loved ones are going to try to help. And sometimes if we expect something, we can mentally prepare for it. It does help as these comments come rolling in. Um, and, And I would also say to give yourself a break, just like Katie said, You know, there are definitely times where I tell patients, just have a milkshake. Just have whatever it is that you want. I you know, usually it's not a steak, usually it's not a milkshake, but there might be times where that's what you want. Well, have it. Have fried chicken. Have you know, have something just because it might make you feel better. You need comfort at at the times when you want to eat those things, and you just need to get through and continue on. And like Katie said, you can do better tomorrow. You can make a different choice tomorrow. You need to get through, and one foot in front of the other, one milkshake in front of the next, whatever it takes to get you there. And then the final thing I would say is don't expect you're going to lose weight when you're getting treatment for cancer. It's actually not uncommon for people to gain weight because the the treatments that we give, including things like steroids, cause people to retain fluid, to eat more, And it's not uncommon. And for women especially, that can actually be a challenge and upsetting because we're very conditioned in society over our entire lives to try to be fit and thin and whatever it is that we want to be. But it's not uncommon that we lose that when we're going through treatment. And it's okay. Just get through treatment. Like Katie said, be happy you're
0: alive. Be
2: happy you're here. And we can always work on things tomorrow.
0: I would also just add that for the, the, sort of the heart of this podcast is really about how to find comfort, joy, and pleasure with food, which is a, which is how we're supposed to feel with food. So, you know, we, we don't talk as much on this podcast about exactly the precise what to eat, what to avoid. And, and that's for a purpose. That's for a reason. That's because when you are in the middle of this journey, there's no one answer. There's no um, widely generalizable approach to, um, to that. That's a very unique individually tailored thing that needs to happen with your team. So another thing I can just as a registered dietitian and nutritionist recommend is that for those of you who have the opportunity, ask for support, ask for a registered dietitian specializing in oncology to be a member of your team, partner with a therapist, talk with your doctor about these questions, concerns that you have, and also let them know the kinds of things that you're being given advice about. And, and also for the patients listening out there, I often encourage them with very specific scripts of things they might say. When a family member says, have you tried X, Y, or Z? You can say to that beloved person in your life, thank you for your thoughtfulness. I'm working with a nutritionist who specializes in cancer care. I'm happy to share this information with my doctor, my nurse practitioner, and get their opinion. So. There's a way, I think, for the patient, if they want to, express some degree of gratitude, but then sort of end the conversation there. It doesn't necessarily have to go into anything beyond that. And I I guess I'm curious, from Katie, from your viewpoint, how that lands.
1: That sounds really good. And I think that my PA, my physician assistant, did suggest sort of having a boilerplate reaction because he's seen a lot of cancer patients that just really had no energy to be polite to people or, you know, satisfy them with answers. And <laughs> the boilerplate response was pretty harsh. So I never really, like, I wasn't able to deliver <laughs> very easily, but I, it, it definitely, like you guys were saying, it made it easier to like internally laugh or laugh with my you know, father or husband about answering the questions. Cause I knew I didn't have to get hooked by the questions, just having that sort of preparation that you were talking about earlier. Um, you know, and it, it was something like, you know, I'm doing fine. I just don't really want to talk about it now. And um, I love your idea. I mean, every listener out there, this is something you can
0: do for yourself right now today you can write your boilerplate response. You can identify the thing that feels authentic to you. And I know Katie, you said you felt like the boilerplate was a little bit harsh, but so in that case, maybe tweak it. So it does feel like language that feels sincere for you mm-hmm. and yet also helps the person who's on the other end trying to you know, offer something. That there's a way to have this conversation happen that I think can still um, maintain the integrity of the relationship but also help neither person feel as frustrated as they might otherwise. Yeah,
2: I think, I think that's a great idea. Anytime you can sort of program a response that fits with your personality and with your ultimate goal, which is to sort of end that conversation and move on to the next part of it, um, is a really, really smart way to prepare and then maintain your composure. Because honestly, Katie, if someone said the things that they said to you, to me, I feel like if I, if I had the energy, if I wasn't in treatment at that moment, and I that's the only time I wouldn't have the energy, I would probably lash out in very not nice ways. Um, because that's it's 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 frustrating. But having a boilerplate that keeps things friendly, cordial, whatever it is that you want to be, I think is a really good way of dealing with
0: that. Yeah. And it's real, right? It's not it's an honest answer to a sincere hope. That you will be well and those that love you will be able to contribute somehow to your well-being over time. I just again, my since most sincere thanks to each of you, Katie, Dr. Morgan's, for sharing your insights. I'm really grateful for you being willing to not only um, open up sort of like your, your experience, but then also for you to really drill down and think how your experiences might relate to other people and how to help them through that um, this part of their experience journey. Um, And thank you to each person listening right now. I'm Stephanie Myers with the Zekam Center at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Until next time, be well.